This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. This episode is brought to you by Lola V. Lola V is an award-winning hair care line by none other than Jennifer Aniston. They offer clean, plant-powered products for every hair type and texture. I just did my whole hair care routine with all the products the other night, and I am obsessed. Along with incredible shampoo and conditioner, they have an intensive repair treatment that you can use once a week. They also have a lightweight hair oil. There's a leave-in treatment, and there's also a glossing detangling which I need because lately I want to do my hair in like a slicked back look, but my hair is too frizzy. Get 15% off Lola V with the code MOMROOM at www.lolav.com slash MOMROOM and Lola V is L-O-L-A-V-I-E. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Mom Room Podcast. My name is Renee Rena, and I am definitely the mom friend you have always wanted. Hello, and welcome to my solo intro that I'm recording right next to Milo. Milo, do you want to say hello? No. Say hello. No. No? All right. Well, it's been a week, let me tell you. So... It is Friday morning. I realized in the middle of the night last night that I needed to record the solo intro and send it to the editor so he could edit the episode, send it back to me so I could have it ready for today, which is Tuesday. So here I am. Also in the middle of the night, because Milo woke up at two in the morning, I realized that I didn't post the reel on the podcast account, which is at the Mom Room Podcast. So at 2.30 in the morning, I was posting a reel on Instagram. Thank you, Milo, for your input. I am super excited about today's episode because it is a topic that I have wanted to talk about literally since quarantine in 2020. I had someone reach out to me because I was making TikToks in quarantine about drinking wine. Someone reached out to me about how... People who struggle with alcohol look at, you know, all these TikToks and reels that other moms make where it's kind of making light of consuming alcohol or implying that you're using alcohol as a coping mechanism because you're a parent now. And really, that was not my intention. It was just, you know, I thought it was funny, but I can think it's funny because... I never really had an issue with my relationship with alcohol, but it's kind of creating this culture that it's funny to drink and use alcohol as a coping mechanism when you're a mom. And, you know, a lot of social events revolve around alcohol. And I wanted to do an episode about this topic. So today I'm talking with Dr. Sarah Lee. She is one half of She Found Motherhood or She Found Health. So she.found.motherhood is the Instagram account for them. They are two physicians from Victoria, BC, and they talk all about motherhood, pregnancy, postpartum, 
Sarah is a family physician, maternity physician, and also an addictions medicine specialist. In this episode, we talk about what wine culture is, what that looks like, why it's a problem. We talk about what safe and unsafe drinking looks like. I was shocked to find out the safe guidelines. It just seemed like a lot for me. So what I'm talking about is when people ask you, you know, like a medical professional asks you, how many drinks of alcohol do you have in a week, let's say? What the cutoff is for being like safe drinking just blew my mind. It seemed like a lot. So that was surprising. We also talk about how alcohol affects females specifically. We talk about how in North America, it's recommended that you're abstinent from alcohol when you're pregnant, whereas in other areas of the world, it's not abstinence and people do have a glass of wine here and there. And yeah, we talk about how to approach someone if you feel like their drinking is becoming an issue or that it's becoming unsafe. It is such an open and honest conversation. Both Sarah and I drink. Obviously, if you follow me, you know that. So like there's no judgment here. It's literally just a conversation I hope you guys enjoy it. I had such a great time talking with her. And yeah, it's a topic that, you know, I don't want people to look at the title of this episode and be like, oh my God, like, you know, get defensive. It's really just an honest conversation. And yeah, so I hope you guys enjoy it. I'm going to go back to taking care of my little toddler. Thank you guys so much for listening. And please welcome (laughs) Dr. Sarah Lee to the Mom Room Podcast. So today I'm talking with Dr. Sarah Lee. It sounds like she makes pastries, but she does not. (laughs) And today we're talking about motherhood and wine culture, which is something that I've thought about a lot. I've been wanting to do this episode for so long since one of my followers sent me a message and kind of brought this topic into my awareness. So to start, I thought you could tell us about yourself and your training and how you got into addiction medicine and what that is. Well, thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here. And I have wanted to do this podcast for a long time. I think we've been going back and forth. But life is chaotic, as you know it. Like you said, I'm Dr. Sarah Lee. I am a double board certified physician. I have some subspecialized training in obstetrics and gynecology, as well as addiction medicine, and did officially go on and get a residency in family medicine. I primarily do, I have a small family practice where I do maternity care. I do some general addiction care. I work in the hospitals doing addiction consult service for people who've been admitted and have a history of problematic substance use, whether that be alcohol or other illicit substances like opiates or stimulants. And my biggest passion is actually I do a lot of work with pregnant and newly parenting people with a history of problematic substance use. And I think that is a reason why this subject has become even more near and dear to my heart because of the the potential harms, right, of this wine culture. And I, I do have a caveat to say that I'm from the East Coast originally. So we were just talking about this. I'm from PEI and I grew up there. Now I'm in based in Victoria, British Columbia. And I totally get it. Like, I actually love alcohol, right? Like, I I enjoy drinking wine and beer, but I've learned throughout my training just, and we'll talk about this today, how problematic and devastating alcohol can be. So it's such a fine balance. And I really want people who are starting to listen to this 
podcast to, to know that this is going to be a really open and honest discussion. We're not going to be shaming anybody, just sort of bringing light to this so that we have more awareness about our alcohol consumption and also how we treat and invite others to drink or not drink, right? Because alcohol is so normalized. A hundred percent. And so I'm from Northern Ontario. Like people there drink a lot. Oh, like, totally. So, you know, yeah, that's just like what you do. And I am in a unique situation because my dad and my brother and most of the men in my family on my dad's side have never had a sip of alcohol. That's so rare. Yes. And so my dad's dad, I think, died from alcoholism. And like my dad had a pretty rough childhood. And so all of the men from my grandpa down just never tried alcohol before, including my brother. My brother just turned 40. He's never tried alcohol for that reason. So for me, I've always more so seen women drink because in my family, men never drank. And I I don't know why I'm telling the story, but I remember growing up when I would go to other people's houses and their dads would come home from work and like pour a rye and Coke or grab a beer. Like I thought that was so off-putting because I was like not used to having men drink. And so that's kind of my experience with alcohol. But for people who are listening to this podcast, most of them probably follow me on social media and they know, like I drink, I I don't drink very much anymore, but like in quarantine for sure, like I noticed my wine consumption to increase a lot. And yeah, I would make jokes about drinking wine. And that's kind of where this topic all started from was one of my followers messaged me on Instagram who she had struggled with alcohol in her life. And as like a young mother, her message was so nice. I wish I could have found it to read it, but it was very like, you know, it's a joke on TikTok to make these videos where it's like, oh, I had a hard day. Look at me. I'm going to go get a drink of wine. And it, it is funny, but for me, I, I've never had an issue with alcohol. So I didn't like the idea that I was normalizing it and like putting it out into the internet to kind of condone the idea that, oh, if you have a hard day or you have little kids, just have a glass of wine. Because for me, that was never the case. Like I have a PhD in psychology. I have all these other coping skills and like support systems, but not everybody has that. And so alcohol literally is what they turn to after a hard day. So I stopped making all those TikToks about wine as soon as I read her message. And I was like, oh my God, thank you so much for this message. Like you completely changed my perspective on this. And it's so important, right? And like, I don't think I said, but I'm a mom also. I have three young boys. And parenting's hard as F. Yes. Right? Like, I get it completely. But it's so important for us to understand that, like, if you're struggling so much that you need alcohol or other substances to survive, then then we've got a problem, right? So we need to understand the role of alcohol in and a healthy, what a healthy relationship with alcohol looks like, right? And that is not often portrayed in media. And and it's interesting, right? Like I do addiction medicine. So I got in, I don't know what exactly piqued my interest in it, but I think, you know, when I went into medicine, like I genuinely enjoy helping people. I have a history of some problematic alcohol use in my family, not my immediate, immediate family, fortunately, but in my extended family. And I've always just known the impact that can have on people and families. And that it does not, you know, discriminate like any 
gender, any, you know, income level, any education level. And so I've always felt compassion towards people who have, you know, problematic substance use. And so I just sort of went down that pathway. It's a very new specialty in medicine. Like, I think when I finished my training in 2016 of just general family practice, there was, it was really challenging to get specific addiction medicine training. And now there's like fellowships and, you know, so it's becoming much more mainstream. But I think as this happens, we'll see just more and more people understanding that alcohol is a problematic substance like any other substance out there. And I use alcohol, like no, no shaming, just we have to know how to use it, right? And so what is... When someone hears mommy wine culture or motherhood and wine culture, I think a lot of people get defensive. Like, you know, like I have a glass of wine every evening or they just kind of want to shut down the conversation. But what is mommy wine culture? So I did a little bit of research around this before we were doing this podcast and you know, it's interesting, like it's been, it's been around for a while, but I think it's gotten really popular, like in the mid 2010s. And basically, a wine mom is someone who likes to drink to take the edge off parenting, and they're, they're willing to poke fun at that fact. But I think the concern comes when, when we start to see like we've been talking about wine moms representing troubles and trends in modern parenting. So using alcohol to cope with the challenges of parenting, you know, and understanding that, some people have problematic alcohol use. This is really triggering for them to see this. And it, it's like what we said, it's scary to think that like we're seeing these memes, like you said, on TikTok and all over there, all over the internet, that's like, oh, it's okay. Just have a glass of wine. Parenting's hard. No big deal. And there may be, you know, a lot of women and parents out there that might question is this safe? Is this, you know, an appropriate way to deal with my stress? But they're having it reinforced by these messages. Like, don't worry about it. Everyone's drinking tons of alcohol. It's how we all survive, right? And it's really normalizing an unhealthy coping strategy. Yeah, that's what really bothered me. I was like, even at the time when I first started this podcast, my cover was like a little cartoon of me and it had me holding a wine glass and then like a baby bottle. Cause I like totally oblivious. I'm like, wow, that's so cute and like fun. Meanwhile, like I have maybe one glass of wine every two weeks or something. But then when TikTok started in quarantine, I would exaggerate that in my TikToks because it was funny. But like you said, people who actually struggle, they can be upset by the TikTok like that I was making. But at the same time, there would be people that maybe didn't even know that they had an issue, but they did. But they're looking at me and they're like, oh, well, look at her. Totally. If she does it. She does it. She has a PhD in psychology. Like she's, you know what I mean? So it's almost like that's not, and I remember my mom being like, you know, the cartoon with the wine glass thing, like when you change your cover, like don't have wine in it. Like that's so not even yeah. you. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, so you're funny. Yeah. It's very interesting. But it's very popular, right? And it's it's sort of like trendy to like the mom who drinks, right? And we were talking before we started recording and I'm not going to throw anybody under the bus here, but there are some really popular influencers out there who are drinking all the time on their social media. And it's sending this, this message. And for people like... Yes, lots of people can use alcohol and not have a problematic relationship with it. And it's not a problem for them. But for that subset of the population who's on the brink or who's, you know, bordering on an unhealthy relationship, seeing these memes and seeing these influencers drinking all the time, 
It's just like, oh, okay, well, it's fine. If she's doing it, then I'm sure it's fine, right? Like we were saying before, sometimes I see that and I'm like, man, I need to drink more. Like I don't, like, <laughs> that literally like, that literally goes through my mind. Like talk about like being influenced to buy a sweater or something. That's one thing. But oftentimes I'm like, oh, look, like they have a glass of wine while they're giving their kids a bath. Like I should do that, you know? But I'm like, Renee, you don't even like that. Like, you know, like it makes you stuffed up. You're not going to sleep well. Like, oh my gosh, right? It totally gives you a bad sleep. I know it's interesting. And so, and so I think an important message for people that are listening is like, if you're listening to this podcast and you're starting to wonder about your alcohol use and what's safe and what's not, it really sucks for those of us who like alcohol that really the recommended safe drinking guidelines for women are about no more than 10 drinks a week with no more than two drinks a day on most days. That seems like a lot. It does. But say you have a glass or two of wine every evening, that's 14 drinks in a week, right? And so a lot of people drink most days, right? And they just think of it as a way to unwind and and no more than two drinks in a setting. And some people will drink half a bottle or even a bottle in a night, right? Just sitting down, using that as a way to unwind. So if you go over that, that's considered... At risk drinking. Yes. Wow. So 10 drinks a week or more than two drinks on any average sitting. Except for like they say, like if you're at a wedding, go ahead and have three drinks or something like that. And I don't know any East Coasters out there listening or like my med school classmates. Uh, we definitely used alcohol as an unhealthy coping strategy to get through the stress of medical school, right? What would be some red flags for unsafe drinking? So that's a great question. So I think a screening tool we use in medicine and just in general family practice with some simple questions that we ask patients or you can ask yourself, right? And if you answer yes to any of these, then then you might want to sort of step back and, and think about your drinking and, and talk to somebody, you know, whether that be your primary care provider, your spouse, your a friend. But if you're starting to feel the need to cut down on how much alcohol you're drinking, then that's a concern that perhaps you're drinking too much. If you're ever feeling annoyed by people questioning or criticizing your drinking. So it's interesting that you said that that men in your family don't drink because I have a statistic here that 76% of Canadian women reported drinking alcohol in the past 12 months. You know, that's a, a significant number of Canadians. And and so if you, so say you're, you know, a mom and in your, you're in a heterosexual relationship, if you notice your partner sort of questioning how much you're drinking and you're getting annoyed by that questioning, then definitely that's, you know, a red flag to sort of step back and think about it. Or if you're feeling guilty about your drinking. So if you're, you know, you've got some guilt around how much you're drinking, how often, that's another red flag. And then lastly, and I think this one is a very obvious one, is that if you're, if you need an eye opener in the morning to get over a hangover or to steady your nerves, if you're having that much alcohol in your system that you're really feeling like you need some early in the day to get moving, then that's absolutely a red flag that we would want you to reach out and ask for help. Or if I'm assuming you find yourself trying to hide it. Yes. When you were talking about those red flags, I listened to the autobiography from Jessica Simpson. Oh, interesting. It was so good. And she talked a lot about her problems with alcohol. And that was one of the things It was like, she eventually started just hiding it because she didn't want people questioning her about it. So she would put it in like something that looked like it was coffee, like a travel thing or, you know. So if you want to listen to a really great autobiography, the Jessica Simpson biography is really good. 
Oh, I will. I love her. I watched the, what was that show she and Nick Lachey, The Newlyweds? I'm, yes. I'm aging. I'm she talks myself. a lot about that in, in the book. It's, Does she? It's oh, fascinating. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm definitely going to listen to that. It's good, good to listen while I'm commuting. So what are some markers of having a good relationship with alcohol or a healthy relationship? So I think not craving alcohol, not feeling, you know, the need or the desire to come home and have a drink immediately afterwards. And I think having the ability to have one drink and that's it, right? So so I see, and, and I have a bit of a biased perspective because I do see a lot of people with really significant alcohol use disorder. And, and it's, it's funny that you mentioned, you noticed early in the pandemic, your wine consumption increasing. Like we have noticed, especially with the inpatient addiction medicine that I do. So inpatient meaning people who are admitted to hospital. So many people during the pandemic have come in with, you know, significant consequences from alcohol use or alcohol withdrawal. So they're trying to quit and they're not able to quit safely in the community because believe it or not, if you have significant alcohol use disorder, withdrawal can actually be lethal. So alcohol withdrawal is just so scary because I don't think that's necessarily common knowledge. But, you know, one of the the things that we want to encourage people leaving the hospital is like that they're they're not having cravings and there are medications that we can give people for that but also being able to control your the amount that you're drinking right so having one or two drinks and then being able to stop and and move on and and i think having alternative coping strategies right so if you if you start to see that exactly like you said you had a, a stressful day that you don't come home and you pour a glass of wine or a beer or make yourself a cocktail is that you get on your Peloton, oh, right? Yeah. <laughs> or you phone a friend and you just bitch about your day, right? Especially when you're a parent. Especially when you're a parent. Parenting is the hardest thing I've ever done. And I've done a lot done of things, Done medical right? school. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? Like, and I always tell people too, like I, you know, I've managed like massive postpartum hemorrhages and I've like done emergency surgeries in my training in OBGYN. And Still, parenting is harder. Still so hard. Right? Yeah. It's scarier. Yeah, because we have no training. This episode is brought to you by Magic Spoon. You guys know I have been very intentional with what we've been eating lately. I'm looking at protein. I'm looking at sugar content and avoiding things like artificial ingredients or colorings. Milo used to always want pancakes or waffles in the mornings, and now he is getting into cereal, and I'm so excited because Magic Spoon is the perfect option. Their variety pack has four flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. They have zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and only four to five grams of carbs per serving. They're made with wholesome ingredients, no artificial flavors or dyes, and I'm just so happy that he's getting a good amount of protein before he goes off to school. And it's a great snack for me and my husband too, because 13 to 14 grams of protein in the cereal, now you add a high protein milk, you're set. That is such a high protein snack or meal. I should also mention that it is gluten-free, grain-free, and soy-free. So go to magicspoon.com slash momroom to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our promo code momroom at checkout to save $5 off your order.
And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. So try a delicious bowl of Magic Spoon cereal today at magicspoon.com slash momroom and use the code momroom to save $5. Thank you, Magic Spoon, for sponsoring this episode. This episode is brought to you by Little Spoon. It is 2024. As busy parents, it's hard to completely overhaul our lives, but what we can do is make small changes that will make our lives easier. And that is where Little Spoon comes in. Their goal is to make keeping your kid healthy feel like the easiest part of your day so that you can cut through all the drama of mealtime. Little Spoon offers baby blends, biteables, and plates. So baby blends is fresh, organic baby food. They have single ingredients, but also multi-textured purees to take the stress out of starting solids. Biteables make the transition to finger foods easy because they are cut perfectly to size, which promotes self-feeding. And of course, all the Biteables are healthy, balanced, and free of artificial junk. And then there are plates for your toddlers and your bigger kids. They are meals that are free of all the bad stuff. They taste amazing. Even the pickiest eaters will love them. They have things like hidden veggie mac and cheese, chicken nuggets, and adventurous things like pot stickers, gnocchi, and more. Little Spoon also has smoothies and build-it-yourself lunches. Did I mention it all comes right to your door? It is super flexible, so easy, and everything stores right in the fridge and freezer. You can pick up the menu and change up what you order every single time. The price is right. The quality is unmatched. You and your kids will love it. It's a huge win-win for your family. Simplify your kids' mealtime with 30% off your first order. Go to littlespoon.com slash momroom and enter our code momroom at checkout to get 30% off your first Little Spoon order. Something just to go back to quarantine I think for me, like this is just my personal experience, like now that I'm reflecting on it, because it's interesting, like my life has not changed. I'm doing the same thing. The one difference is that Milo's in daycare, but like I'm still doing the same stuff that I was doing then. And I have zero desire to have alcohol ever, unless like my husband and I go to a brewery or like, you know, it's a special night and we're going to like watch a movie and have a glass of wine. Like even last night, my husband's like, do you want a glass of wine? I was like, no, God, no. Like it doesn't serve me. And I think because I'm starting to be more into like gut health and like sleep health and all this stuff, like alcohol does not serve you in any way. So when I think about quarantine and my wine consumption, I like during the day, it's like, that's what I had to look forward to was like, Milo's going to go to bed and I'm going to sit and have a glass of really delicious wine. And it's like, I don't have that anymore. But in quarantine, I don't know if it's because like, like, what was I bored? Like, or is it that you did it for a little while? And so it just becomes like habitual. Yes. Yeah. Like, it's weird because I somehow like, luckily just got out of that. And I wouldn't drink much. I would have maybe one glass, one and a half glasses. But still, the fact that I was like looking forward to that in the evening was like shocking to me. Exactly. And so many people do, right? And you hit on like so many things people tell me. They drink for boredom. Like, do you remember Serb? 
whatever that an acronym stands for. So it's the, the funding that came out from the federal government when, when we had that basically like national shutdown and people couldn't work and they got CERB. I can't remember what it stood for because I didn't get it. I had to work. Anyways, and I had so many people coming into the hospital and they're like, well, we were getting paid and we were at home all day. And so they just drank, right? So they drink, like drinking for boredom or drinking, like you said, for sleep. Some people can't fall asleep without alcohol and they've, it's become so habitual for them. But you're absolutely right. Like drinking alcohol actually gives you a worse sleep, right? You fall asleep, but you don't have a restful sleep. And like, there's so many, unfortunately, there's so many adverse health effects. Like alcohol is a carcinogen, right? And oh my gosh, if you want to get into it, it's a, a toxin. Yeah, it's it's poison. That I wrote yeah. this down to, yeah. to point out. Like I specifically remember my coach for volleyball in university like told us he was like alcohol and I'll never forget this. He like sat us down and he was like, alcohol is a poison. And I was like, okay, buddy, like calm down. But the more I learned, I'm like, it legit is a poison. And like, we have stores whose purpose is literally just to sell us poison. Like <laughs> it's crazy. It's so it's funny. Crazy, right. Yeah. It's so interesting too. Like, and many people's opinion of alcohol is very different from like other like illicit. So when we talk about substances, right? Like, so these are anything that alters like your mood and your perception. So there's alcohol, there's, you know, cannabis, there's opioids, there's stimulants. And everyone's like, oh, I don't do drugs. I just drink alcohol. And I'm like, alcohol is a drug. It's just illicit drug, right? It's been legalized just like tobacco, right? Whereas the others are just illicit. And especially in pregnancy, when I have like, I have, you know, I have a very wide variety. I look after people who have problematic alcohol use, but also opioids. And I'm like, good choice on the opioids. They're not as, you know, like they're not as teratogenic. They're not as harmful to a developing fetus as alcohol. Something that blew my mind was that during quarantine, only essential services were open, but like all the liquor stores, all the beer stores stayed open. And it was like, wow. And do you know why? Because the hospitals would have been filled with people with alcohol withdrawal. Interesting. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. I know. I know it would have been really devastating because like I said, alcohol withdrawal, like, so a hangover, you know, so feeling a bit nauseous and sweaty and tremulous, that is like mild alcohol withdrawal, right? But when, for people who drink more heavily, so, you know, daily drinking and, you know, upwards of three, four, five, six drinks a day, they can experience more severe alcohol withdrawal. And like I said, it can be lethal to a degree because you've, you've offset your, your brain's neurotransmitters to such a degree that your brain can't function without some reinforcement of the the GABA receptors, and I won't get into all the sciencey details, but so we need to actually medically support your brain detoxing from alcohol. Recently, I was listening to a podcast and there was a guy, someone's husband actually was like a functioning, but like major alcoholic. And he was like, you would have never really known it if you knew him, but he was very like in shape, like super active, but like a really bad alcoholic. And he tried to get sober and he died. It's so scary, right? And I think if anyone takes a message away from this, like there'll be two messages. One is like offer non-alcoholic beverages (laughs) to your friends and don't ask people if they're pregnant because they're not drinking. Maybe they just don't drink and that's okay. But two is like, if you know someone with significant alcohol use, like make sure they're supported, right? And especially when it comes to withdrawal. And we can do supportive withdrawal at home for people who have sort of mild to moderate use, but many people need to come into a hospital setting or or a medical detox facility to stop drinking alcohol. And that's just the way it is, yeah. 
So can we talk a little bit about the effects of alcohol on our health, specifically for females? Yeah. Oh, that's a great question. And and I think it's really important to point out because in general, women are actually more vulnerable to the effects of alcohol than men for a few reasons. And and one is just that on average, we weigh less than men. And we know that smaller people reach higher blood alcohol levels than larger people. And interestingly, pound for pound, women have less water in their bodies than men do. So even if a woman and man of the same weight drank an equal amount of alcohol, our blood alcohol concentration would be higher. And then thirdly, I know it's isn't biology fascinating? Yes. Is that women actually have less alcohol metabolizing enzymes in their body. Like we produce fewer enzymes and we digest alcohol differently in our stomach than men do. So men are able to metabolize and break down some of that alcohol actually in their stomach before it even gets absorbed into their bloodstream where our bodies doesn't, doesn't do that as well. So in general, we know women are just more susceptible to the effects of alcohol than men. And then in particular, talking back, remember we were talking at the very beginning about the safe drinking guidelines. Those are based on like, you know, average person. So, you know, based on one woman to another, you know, your genetic susceptibility, your weight, your size, your family history, and whether you mix alcohol with other substances or medications can really impact how alcohol affects your body. Mm -hmm. And also like, for example, if I drank regularly, because like you build up a tolerance, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So like if I just all of a sudden had three drinks right now, I would feel a lot worse than, you know, when I was in college and I had three drinks because I was drinking more regularly. Yes, exactly. And that's all that, that your, your body sort of, when you expose your body regularly to alcohol, so it acts on the GABA receptors in your brain. And so your your body sort of shifts the your your base level of your GABA and your glutamate receptors. So those are like the relaxing and the sort of activating neurotransmitters based on how much alcohol you're exposed to. So it's it's so fascinating how substances affect the brain and your neurotransmitters. But yeah, and and like you said, you develop a tolerance, but all the all the while it's still causing a negative impact on your body, right? So it can cause high blood pressure, contribute to stomach problems, it can Unfortunately, it is a carcinogen, meaning that it can contribute to the development of some cancers, including breast cancer. And it can obviously impact things like sleep, mood. It can impact your reproductive health. It can lead to sexual problems, uh, you know, in men having erectile difficulties and then in women having some some libido issues. Because it's a depressant, right? Yeah, like- exactly. Exactly. And then, and then there, it can also significantly affect your heart health. And I think the biggest thing that probably most people are aware of is that it it can really negatively impact your liver and lead to, you know, what we call a hepatitis, which means inflammation of the liver. And that is because alcohol is primarily broken down by the liver. And so your liver is just being slammed the more you drink and just unable to safely process the amount of alcohol that you're drinking. So for women who are pregnant or in postpartum if they're breastfeeding, can we talk about that. So obviously we know like you shouldn't drink if you're pregnant, but then I remember researching this in Europe and in some places, like in North America, it's like abstinence a hundred percent, but in some places of the world, it's not. So can we talk a little bit about alcohol while you're pregnant and then also while breastfeeding? Absolutely. It's a great question. And so so the reason why we're cautious with alcohol in pregnancy is because alcohol is what we call a teratogen. So we know it causes 
adverse effects on the developing fetus or birth defects for like a more generic term, primarily in the form of something called FASD, fecal, fetal, fecal, (laughs) (laughs) you know what that means, fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. So FASD for short, and it's just a range of, and the thing is, is that it's a spectrum, right? Which is why it's so challenging. It's a range of physical and mental behavioral effects and learning disabilities. And it can be from mild to really severe. And unfortunately, we just don't know what level is safe. So it's such a spectrum and it's so fascinating. Like, you know, I've had patients that have had really problematic alcohol use and they didn't know they were pregnant until 20 weeks, 30 weeks pregnant, which happens all the time, Renee, all the time, right? And it's okay, guys, if you were drinking and you were pre- didn't know you were pregnant, don't worry about it. There's nothing you can do. So don't beat yourself up. And some of these children are very minimally affected. Well, as other people who had minimal, you know, to moderate alcohol can have a more significantly affected child. So that's why we don't know, like there's no what we call dose response. So we don't know if you have two glasses of wine a week, no effect. But if you have 10, it's, you know, affected 30%. You know, there's just no relationship. So that's why in North America, we say abstinence is best. And the other question I get a lot is like, oh my God, I didn't know I was pregnant and I went to a bachelor party when I was four weeks pregnant and don't worry about it. Your baby's barely attached to your blood supply. Let that go. Maybe you were drinking and you didn't know you were 10 weeks pregnant. Let that go. Don't worry about it. There's nothing you can do to change it. And the most important thing is like, that you've got good nutrition, that you've got good sleep, that you're getting prenatal care, that you're taking prenatal vitamins, you know? And if you have problematic alcohol use and you're having trouble cutting back, it's okay, right? It's okay. Like you're doing the best that you can. Yes, there's a chance that your baby could have FASD, but as long as you're building your supports and, you know, trying to do what we call harm reduction. So, you know, not drinking on an empty stomach, choosing lower percentage alcohol. So, you know, instead of drinking hard liquor or higher percentage wine, choosing a lower percentage alcohol, trying to reduce your drinking days, all those kind of things, right? Because it's so hard for us to just say abstinence, move on. So if someone has a drinking problem and they find themselves pregnant, if they want to stop drinking, but, you know, we were saying before, it can be dangerous to just flat out stop. What is the process for them to get towards not drinking? Typically speaking, so if someone has like mild to moderate, like, so say they drink a couple drinks of wine, but every night they're drinking every night, we can just work together and gradually, if they, you know, they feel like they can do it on their own, they can just gradually cut cut out the amount of alcohol they're drinking at home. But if we're talking about someone who's drinking a bottle of wine a night, then generally what we would do here, and it's different in every center, but is that we would bring them into the hospital. We would give them medications that are safe in pregnancy, like benzodiazepines typically is what we use, so diazepam or lorazepam. And we would slowly wean them off those medications to help reset those levels of the GABA and the glutamate in their brain. And so so typically it's either done, you know, if you're not really drinking significantly and people will sort of cut back at home, or if they're drinking really low amounts, just stop cold turkey. If they're drinking more heavily and we can sort of assess on a case-by-case basis what is safe to do in the community versus in hospital, and we bring them into hospital and we give them medications to prevent significant alcohol withdrawal. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. 
Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com. I just want to point out, like, so when you were talking about, you know, if someone has a drinking problem and they're pregnant, like the harm reduction thing, in my mind, like, I'm just going to be dead, like, honest. In my mind, I'm like in shock. Do you know what I'm saying? Because, I like, know. you do I this for work. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, in my mind, I was shocked, like, listening to you talk. I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, because it's hard for us to think that way. But at the same time, if someone is struggling, what is the alternative? Exactly, right? Yes, it's shocking to me because I've never had a substance abuse problem. If you told me I couldn't have coffee, I would have a problem. <laughs> yeah, like I know, legit, right? like yeah, seriously. So yeah, so I just want to point that out. If other people are listening and they're like, oh my God, oh my God you know, a doctor is telling us harm reduction stuff. Like, yes, but what is the alternative? So support these people. Exactly. Thank you. And and I love that you said that because it's, I've been doing this for, since 2018. So whatever that is, three years. It has taken me a long time to be okay with supporting harm reduction with alcohol and pregnancy because it, like we come with our own biases, right? And we know, like I have had three children, I didn't really drink in my pregnancies. I got married, shotgun wedding with my first. I was 30 weeks pregnant, 32 weeks pregnant. I was I pregnant had... too. Oh, were you? Yeah. Oh, good for us. <laughs> we're new age women, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I had a glass of champagne at my wedding. And I think on our honeymoon, I had like a glass of wine or two. And and But I know that like that, that amount of alcohol is going to be metabolized by my liver before it even gets into my bloodstream. But uh, like... It's really hard to not want to like judge people for drinking when we know the the devastating effects it can have. But what is the alternative that we send them off to binge and the baby's even more affected? Yes, a hundred percent. I know. Thank you for saying that because I'm sure a lot of people are like curling their toes at me. Yes. Saying, <laughs> yeah, that's what I was doing. I was like, oh my god, oh my god. <laughs> so I'm happy we talked that through. Yeah. Good. Good. Thank you for bringing that up. Okay. So. I wanted to ask about resources and strategies for people to cut back, like not necessarily people that are pregnant. Like this is just like people who want to cut back on their drinking. What are some strategies? And then also if you have advice for people who may have someone in their lives that they think is drinking too much or maybe might have a problem, how can we approach that in the best way? Oh, that's that's a tough question. Yeah. Yeah. I'll leave that one for last. Okay. (laughs) So I think the first thing to do is if you're leaving this, you know, and you're thinking, oh my gosh, I have three glasses, two, three glasses of wine a night or even five nights a week, right? That's, you're right at the cutoff. And so sort of take a step back and examine your drinking behavior and think about all those mental health and physical health risks that we talked about and sort of think back, do you have a personal or family history of alcohol use problems? And I think an important thing to know is that when I, we see all these people in hospital, They haven't had problematic alcohol use since they were 19. A lot of people don't develop it until their 40s or 50s, right? And so knowing that because you haven't previously had a problematic relationship doesn't mean that one isn't developing. And I think really step back and check in about your mental health because 
many, many people have, you know, some undiagnosed or undertreated anxiety or depression that they are, you know, for lack of a better word, self-medicating with alcohol, right? And coping, whether that be, you know, the irritability, anxiety, right? The social anxiety, a lot of people, you know, you warm up after a drink or two, right? That's medicating social anxiety with alcohol. It's just a really normalized behavior. So I think just step back and and evaluate your, you know, go through that questionnaire, the cut down. Do you feel guilty? Do you get annoyed with people? Do you ever need to have a drink earlier in the morning when you've drank heavily the night before? And if you're meeting some of those criteria, I would encourage you to reach out. Many family physicians and nurse practitioners are trained to offer support around this. And just thinking about what things you want to prioritize. This is my favorite. Like, I feel like I would sit there and be like, what could I be doing with my evenings or whenever I'm choosing to drink? Like, what could I spend quality time with my partner? Is my relationship suffering? And so I'm lonely. And so I'm drinking and like, what? Get a freaking Peloton. Like, oh my God, preach sister. Yeah. Yes. Fucking love my, pardon my friends. Love my Peloton, right? (laughs) You can can beep that one out. I did a spin this morning. Yeah, I haven't been in a little while and I'm like, I desperately miss Cody. Oh my God, I know. Have you been watching him on Dancing with the Stars? Yeah. Of course you have. Yeah. Um, And so I think, you know, a few things that you can do is like exactly what you said, like, you know, and this is getting into like, I actually have a huge interest in coaching, you know, and I listen to all sorts of like life coaching podcasts. And one of the big things is that like, what is your vision of like who you want to be, right? And are, is you sitting down and having a glass of wine at the end of the day moving you closer towards your ideal version of yourself? Probably not, right? And so for somebody who has mild alcohol, you know, maybe they're just drinking a tiny bit too much, then some of these simple strategies like, you know, saying like, what is more important to me? Sitting here and having a glass of wine until 10.30 at night or going to bed now and getting up and doing a workout, right? Or getting up and meditating, getting up and going for a walk or getting up and reading a book, right? And you're like, oh, duh. Okay. Like not the fun thing, but the obvious thing to do. But for somebody who has problematic, it's not that easy. And that's when, so if you're, if you're trying all these things and you're like, I know that what I should be doing is having a cup of tea and, you know, reading my book and going to bed, but instead I'm sitting here drinking wine until midnight, then that's somebody who should ask for more help and more support. I think a lot of times too, drinking, especially for, well, maybe with men as well, but for women, it's like a social thing. So like maybe you go to like book club every week and there everyone has wine or you get together with your neighbor and have wine like every second day. And it's like, maybe, you know, change that up. And, you know, at book club, instead you're you know, bringing a different salad every week, or you guys are going for a walk instead of like just sitting and drinking. Because I find a lot of times our social events revolve around alcohol. So if that's something that you're doing regularly, like switch it up, like go for a walk instead of like just sitting and, you know, drinking. And like exactly at like, or if you're having a party, like offer non-alcoholic options, right? There's this there's this Instagram account. I don't know how I found them. I think they're called the Sober Dietitians. And they have like amazing mocktail recipes and it, and it's really cool to see, right? That we're seeing more and more out there. And actually there's a lot more non-alcoholic, like there's a lot of craft non-alcoholic breweries out there. I can't say the word brewery. It drives me crazy. <laughs> 
brewery. Brewery? Um, yeah, right? It's a tricky one. And there's lots of more like non-alcoholic wines and sparkling drinks coming out. And so just... Kombucha. Yeah, right? You're preaching to the West Coast here, the bitch. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, you know, starting to think about those things. And then if... If you're trying to make these healthy changes and they're not happening, then go a step further. And, you know, there are lots of groups out there. So if you don't have a provider or you're not comfortable talking to your doctor, like, yes, everyone knows about AA, but it is not the only option. There's two other group type supports available. One of them is called SMART. Life, yeah, Life Ring and Smart Recovery. I always mix them up. And they're just different options, right? Because not everybody likes that 12-step model. So just knowing that there's a lot of resources and people out there for you if you're not able to make the changes at home. It's important also to note, which again, because alcohol is a legal substance and it's very accepted socially, it's like pushed socially almost. It's important to know that like you can have a problem with alcohol and not be homeless and like falling down in the street. Like when we hear about people having a problem with a substance, we go like to the very end of the spectrum, right? We're like, you know, it's a person who can't even function in life. But it's like, like you were saying before, like, what is your ultimate, like who you see, like what life do you want to live? And is alcohol getting you closer to that? Or is it like hindering you from getting there. So you don't have to have this, like you can still have a highly functional life, but still want to cut back. Yeah, exactly. And I think the thing is, is that it creeps up on you, right? It creeps up on you. Like you have a couple of drinks in the weekends and then your weekend starts on Thursday and ends on Monday and then, right? And so just always sort of being mindful of your consumption and staying within those safe guidelines and knowing that it's okay for people to not drink, you know, like normalize non-alcoholic beverages, right? Like offer people... Like, do you ever notice this? Like you said, the social thing, like you go to a party. Oh, come on, just have one drink. Oh, it's fine. It's fine. I used to get so angry. Like in university, people would, and like, these are like my good friends, like pressuring me to have a drink because they're drinking and like they associate alcohol with like having fun and, you know, being fun. But like, don't put that pressure on me. Like, just because you want to drink, like it almost makes people uncomfortable if they're all drinking and you say that you don't want to drink, you know? And it's like, that's a them problem. That's not a you problem. And then the question about if you have someone in your life that you, you're concerned about their problematic drinking, I mean, it's really hard, right? It's really hard. And so I think a life skill that we should all have is motivational interviewing. You probably know a bit about it from your background, right? Yeah. So you can motivationally interview yourself, right? But you could also just ask these questions of, of the person in your life. So motivational interviewing, we do this a lot around substances. So for example, I would say, okay, so what do you like about alcohol, right? And they list what they like and what they don't like. And then, or they list what they like. And then you say, well, what don't you like about alcohol, right? And oftentimes the thing they don't, the list of things they don't like is much longer. And they're just like, huh. And then you ask a question like, okay, so... On a scale of like zero to 10, how likely are you to quit drinking? And they'll be like, oh, I'm a four. And you're like, oh, okay, why are you a four and not a zero? People expect you to say, why are you a four, not a 10? But if you ask whether they're a four, not a zero, they'll give you all the reasons that they're thinking about it. What that does is instead of shaming them and saying, you need to cut back on your drinking, it's bad for you because it causes heart disease and dementia and breast cancer, is, is they're 
themselves coming up with the reasons why they don't like alcohol. And they're themselves telling you the reasons why they're starting to think about quitting. And so it just plants those seeds in their mind that like, actually the power is within them and they have the knowledge, right? Because like getting shamed into doing something is never an effective strategy. I'm going to use this motivational interviewing for my husband for (laughs) eating healthier and being physically active. Totally. Totally. It's so, it's just like, those are like some simple tidbits to take away. And then the other resource to, to know is if you do have someone in your life who has actually significant problematic, you know, alcohol use, Al-Anon is for family or friends of people with problematic substance use. So AA, smart ring, life ring, smart recovery. I always mix those up, <laughs> right? I don't know why. It's for the individual themselves with the problematic substance use, but Al-Anon is for family or friends. So that's a really great resource and just a supportive place because this is a chronic disease. So for people who have, you know, a diagnosed alcohol use disorder and just like high blood pressure and just like diabetes, people's, you know, they wax and wane. We know people with problematic alcohol use. They may there there'll be periods in their lives where they may have a relapse and return to heavy drinking, and and it can be a really challenging road for people who love them. So for sure. Okay, this was such a great conversation. One that we've been waiting to have for like a year. I know. <laughs> I know. I know. So can you to end tell us where people can find you guys online, your website, and then your podcast as well. Yeah, so I am one half of She Found Motherhood. So Dr. Alicia and I run a community for people anywhere from sort of their preconception through to their postpartum journey. Um, And we love to provide evidence-based and supportive tips and tricks and strategies and just some fun, goofy reels too. And we have a website, shefoundhealth.ca, and we have regular blog posts. And um, we have a couple of online courses that we have a sleep course and a online prenatal course. And we have a podcast, which is the She Found Motherhood podcast. Have we had you on our podcast yet? Did I think so. I think so. Yes. Yeah. I think Alicia interviewed you. She, she was, was on, on mine. Last yeah. Year, right? We talked yeah. about birth control. Yeah. That yeah. was really good. Yeah. So you can come find me there anywhere. Awesome. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for this conversation. This was great. Thank you, Renee. It's such an important topic. Ah, mm, The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com.